Good morning, Missio. Your scripture this morning comes from John 21, 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Thanks, Lo. My name is Heather. I'm one of the pastors here. Nice to see you all this morning. Um, we are in a season called Eastertide. Um, ooh, this does not look very stable. We'll, we'll just give it a go. Maybe I won't t- put my beverage on there because that could be a bit of a disaster. So we are in Eastertide, which is the season between resurrection and Pentecost. So resurrection, Jesus lives, dies, returns. Raises from the dead and then is around until his ascension. And in the church, the historical church or kind of current church calendar, we call that Eastertide. And so we're using this time to be a time where we kind of listen to or look at the resurrection stories that are given to us in the Gospel of John, as Lo just read for us. We're asking ourselves the question of how do they beckon us into the story? How do they encourage us and invite us into what Jesus invited those earlier disciples into? What do these words invite us, these current day disciples, into? First, we talked about Mary Magdalene. What a lovely human, Mary Magdalene. Then last week, um, Johnny talked about Thomas. And today, we're going to be talking about Peter. Peter is maybe one of the most familiar disciples Um, in the Bible. Peter was a person who caught fish for a living. Sounds pretty good, right? I don't know, actually. It's probably hard labor, but when you think about like fly fishing or whatever, like the imagination we have for it. So Peter caught fish for a living. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus calls Peter by the name Rock. And that name was associated with a role Peter was going to be the place or the foundation on which to build the family or the community called the church. And it was this moment, Peter is called Rock, and immediately um, 
he is calling Jesus by a title too, the title of Messiah. And the title of Messiah was a strong title and name in those times. It's also a role. The name or title of Messiah would immediately reference everyone to this person being a ruler or a king or a very, very, very important leader. It's a title. And so Peter has acknowledged this title over this man whose name was Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And immediately after this interchange where Jesus is calling Peter by this title rock and Peter is calling Jesus by this title Messiah, Jesus immediately starts to talk about his death. You can pick it up with me here. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. Wow. Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, Jesus. Cool, Peter, cool. What's a rebuke? It is a criticism, a very sharp criticism. Peter is being very stern with Jesus, expressing his disapproval of Jesus. This is a sharp reprimand. In the Bible, a rebuke means that you correct, that you point out somebody's sin. That's what it means in the biblical narrative to rebuke. Wowzer! Peter takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. Peter's framework, like Johnny said last week, is similar to Thomas's. Doesn't have space for the Jesus that is showing up. His beliefs about God are like a house that, if beliefs, you know, are like a house that we live in with Jesus. Peter's theological house, like Thomas's, cannot handle crucifixion and resurrection. And Peter, unlike Thomas, is very sure of himself. He is confident in what it is that he's saying. And he has good reason to be really convinced because culturally and religiously, what Jesus is saying is not what he is expecting. This is not the plan for Messiah. It's also not the promise of Messiah or what they perceived the promise to be. And so, like I said, Messiah is a Hebrew title. The title in Greek is Christ. And with that title comes a job to restore things, to take things from bad to better, to remove oppression and bring goodness. Things of this leader are going to go to a good end. And so a killed Messiah or a killed leader, is a failed leader. There are many others that had claimed to be messiahs and they had indeed been killed. And so the messiah is going to win, not lose. And Peter in this moment is hearing Jesus say that he's about to lose and he rebukes Jesus. Hard no, sir, 
You will win. Peter's framework for Jesus like Thomas is actually not built to hold Jesus. And sometimes the framework for a house needs to a little bit of rearranging. Peter, pretty convinced that he knows what's up. And there's another moment where there's a similar thing that happens with Peter. It's the moment right before Jesus is about to die and that he's sharing his meal with the disciples before his death. You can find it in John chapter 13. And as the meal is in progress, they're all sitting there. We sometimes call it in the church the Last Supper. As they're sharing the Last Supper together, Jesus gets up as the meal's in progress and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter confronts Jesus again and says, Hard no, sir. You don't wash my feet. Again, normal, cultural, and religious um, framework that Peter is living within. The ruler and the leader doesn't do the work of the house help. That work is beneath this role and this title. And so Peter says no. And Peter again reveals the distance between the real Jesus and the image that he has of him. And Peter is having a hard time connecting his love for Jesus and the love that Jesus has for him and others around him. His love for Jesus is burdened with expectation with personal expectation, with religious expectation, with cultural expectation. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are not always aware of how much distance there is between us and Jesus and the image that we have of him. Peter was unaware of how much distance there was between the actual Jesus and the image that he had of him. Sometimes we're not aware of that distance either in ourselves. And so Jesus explains to him in order to close the gap. Jesus doesn't want that distance. And so Jesus explains to him in John 13, after he washes his disciples' feet and he washes Peter's, he explains and he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. These are the exact words that Jesus states after he demonstrates kind of love by washing their feet. It's this demonstration followed by a command that I believe is meant to reframe, to build a fundamental foundation to the house. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love. That's how they will know me and that's how they will know you, by the kind of love that you have for one another. And this, This moment, these words, and the moment that is to follow in Jesus' death, 
It's, that's the real risk. These words are to define who they are and what real risk actually means and is. And Jesus is going to keep showing them. But Peter, I don't know that he heard what Jesus said because of how he responds. And he responds with the kind of risk that I think he thinks he's willing to take for Jesus. So he says, Jesus says, where I am going, and then he says this command to love, and then immediately Peter says, Lord, where are you going? It's <laughs> perfect. Not, how do you love like that? Or what's love? Or can you explain love? He's like, well, where are you going? And then Jesus replies, where I'm going, you can't come now. Peter's like, why can't I follow you there now? You know, really, when you love someone, you want to be by them. And he expresses the kind of love that he thinks he has. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In Matthew, Peter kind of ramps it up even more in that narrative. He says, even if all these followers fall away, I never will. I am devoted. I am faithful. I am loyal. I know my own devotion. Even if everyone falls away, I won't, Jesus. I'm with you. I love you. Again, in that gospel, Jesus says these words. This very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter's like, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. There's these moments where Peter's very sure of himself. Three of them in a row. And this time he's so sure of himself that he elevates himself by claiming exceptional loyalty and devotion. A devotion that takes him to a kind of superiority. And sometimes that's what devotion has the power to do. Make us see ourselves highly. I am somehow better than you. My love, my devotion, my obedience, my rule keeping, my zeal. Sometimes our devotion leads us to that kind of attitude. And that kind of attitude is contempt pointed outward. We may have been on the receiving end of that kind of contempt, and we also may have been on the giving end of that kind of contempt. Shame is when contempt is pointed inward. When we inwardly disregard ourselves and tell ourselves that we are worth less. In this moment... It's pointed outward. All these suckers don't hold a candle to where I'm at with you, Jesus. It's pointed outward, and the image of Peter that he has of himself is better than. That happens often, and sometimes in the same hour. 
where we think we are worth more than someone whose company we share. Or in another moment, we think we are worth less. It's sometimes very subtle, and sometimes it's completely overt. And with it, wherever the beam is shining, we lose sight of the reality Jesus is here to reveal. And so, Peter experiences a revelation. After the meal, Jesus is arrested, and Peter enters into the courtyard where Jesus is held, and there is a servant girl. I mean, she's probably around 12, maybe younger. And um, this little girl says to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I'm not. No. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around, a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. They asked him, aren't you one of the disciples too? Oh, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden three times by a little girl, by one of the officials, and then by someone who'd seen him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. I think we can all identify with Peter in this moment. You love and then your actions betray you. Think about your response to making a mistake, to a failure, to a betrayal. Just think about that. I believe that Peter loved Jesus. I believe it. And his actions, they betray his love. And when we do that, when our actions betray our love, which they do, to our loved ones, often, sometimes with greater or less severity. In this moment, this is a deeply significant moment for Peter. And there are lots of things that go on inside of us depending on how significant the moment is. It's like a twinge sometimes. But other times, it's like a deep, sick-to-your-stomach feeling that makes you want to vomit. And then there's usually a story that goes alongside that feeling. And we all make up different stories in that moment. The feeling of shame and then the story is that I am worthless, not worthy of love and belonging. Or the feeling of disgust, where you are literally disgusted. Or the fear, feeling of fear, where you feel you might lose relationship or not be worthy of relationship in the future. 
or denial. I can't even bear to admit that that just happened, so I'm just going to straight deny it and walk away from it. I'm cool. Don't even want to go there. Sometimes there's grief. Sometimes there is acceptance. There's all kinds of things that happen in a moment like this. And we don't know what it was for Peter after the rooster began to crow because it doesn't tell us. We only have our own reference points to project into the story. But we do know what he did. We know that he saw Jesus alive a couple of times after this like moment. And then we have a conversation that is recorded between the two of them. It's what Low read. But before that conversation, Peter says to his friends, I'm going to go out and fish. And they're like, we'll go with you. Peter goes back to work with his friends. Again, we don't know if there's shame, if there's disgust, if there's fear, if there's uncertainty, we don't know. But we know what he does. He goes out to fish with his friends. And while they're fishing, there's a person that is standing on the shore and that person says to them, the narrative tells us that it's Jesus. Jesus calls out and says, friends, did you find any fish? And they don't recognize Jesus in this moment, but one of the disciples does and says to Peter, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter jumps into the water, which again is an indication of his love. He cannot, he cannot get there fast enough. He's just like leaping out of the boat. And then what does it say about the rest of the disciples? They followed in the boat. It's pretty sensible. That seems really sensible to go in the boat. Peter's in the water. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Peter was standing around a fire when he denied Jesus. You know, there's memories and they get stored in our bodies and there's smells and there's music and there's sounds and they take us right back to that moment. The smell of a fire would have a memory. To Peter. Jesus has made a fire and he's put fish on it. And then he says to them, Come and have breakfast. So ordinary. Like all these crazy things have just happened. And then there's like back to ordinary life to fishing and breakfast and bread. Jesus meets us in our ordinary lives. I love that. Of a breakfast and bread. And in moments where things remind us of our failure. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, full name, Heather Thomas. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you notice he doesn't say more than these this time? He's addressed that. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus is asking Peter to take responsibility for his word, for his certainty. Do you love me more than these? You know that I love you. But Peter doesn't defend himself. He doesn't play like humble, critical contempt. He's not like, obviously I don't love you because like I did that thing or, yeah, I love you more than these. He just simply says that he loves him. Peter knows that Jesus knows his love is real and always has known that his love is real and he just appeals to Jesus knowing it. And again, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This time Peter is hurt. There is a kind of pain in taking responsibility for our actions. But there's no bravado. There's no defensiveness. There's no fragility. Again, there's only an appeal to their relationship. You know that I love you. So Jesus repairs and then restores. Peter's last memory with Jesus is going to be the is not going to be the three times he said, I do not know this man. His last memory is going to be the three times he says, I love you. That's a repair. And he also restores in that repair. There's a responsibility that the title, the rock, is given to be entrusted with caring. And he says, feed my lambs and Peter, take care of those that I bring to you. He's going to live into the title that he's been given to form a community of belonging. So with the repair comes restoration and with restoration, responsibility. Peter, take care of them. In this moment, Jesus restores Peter to himself, to Jesus. Peter is restored to himself, Peter. And he is restored to the rest of the community. It's a whole restoration that happens. But the reality is that there's more to come with Peter. His propensity to superiority doesn't go away in this moment, in this interaction with with Jesus. You see him showing up in Galatians and he's still doing the same old business. Thinks he's better than some people, so he withdraws. Treats them as othering, is hostile has to be confronted by Paul. 
And then he writes these beautiful letters to those same people acknowledging that, yeah, we do belong together and that we're all family. And I think that is so beautiful because repair and restoration is not a one-time moment. We don't, it's not just a one chance that we get at it. What it means to be human is to fail. To get it wrong sometimes. Really wrong sometimes. And the story here is that resurrection reality is restoration reality. And there is always room and always space in Jesus to repair and restore. I was reading this quote um, by this woman and she says, Love by definition happens when it is safe to fall short in the presence of another. Jesus standing with Peter by a fire acknowledges to him, Peter, you can fall short. Peter, you can fall short. That's the story over fish and bread. And it gives him practice again at the command to be loved and to love. Love as I have loved you. They will know me, Peter, if you love like this. This kind of love is what defines who he is and builds his leadership. And this, what he is experiencing and will experiencing, is what the real risk is. Giving his life up, yes, that's risky, but asking him to enter into this kind of love is riskier, I think. The risk of heeding the command to love. Following Jesus is the risk to love. And to love for Jesus meant that he was betrayed, he was denied, he was humiliated, and he was killed. And the risk to love for Peter and the disciples, loving meant grief and dismantling frameworks and pain and misunderstanding. But in an exchange to love, not only do we give love, we receive love. And that is also a risk. But Jesus, being loved by Peter, meant that his friend leapt out into the water to get a hold of him. For Jesus, being loved by Peter meant that Jesus forgives Peter. He has this conversation with him because he loves him. So being loved by Peter means that he forgives and restores and cares for Peter. That's that mutual exchange that's happening. Peter, you love me and I give you this. And for Peter, being loved by Jesus meant taking responsibility for his words and repairing. And then, and maybe this might be the hardest thing, letting himself be restored. He has to learn to walk in his restored reality being truer than his failure. That's hard. He has to learn to walk in the reality that his restored goodness is truer than his failure. 
And Monsieur, we need to do that too. It's what it means to be a Christian. So my question for you today is, what do you need? As you came here today, the story that we know that is written for us in these texts is that Jesus will never tire of loving you. Jesus will never tire of loving you, and you can fall short. Do you hear that? I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it right down into your bones. Jesus will never tire of loving you, and you can fall short. You can make mistakes. You can get it wrong. And Jesus will never tire of loving you. There is always space. Resurrection reality means that there is always space to take responsibility and repair. And so I want you to leave here today as someone who, like Peter, can learn to walk in the restored reality and that being truer than any of your failures, any of your mistakes, and any of your regrets. I hope you leave here today with that. That's the gift that I got this week studying this, is that my restored reality is greater than the sum of my mistakes and my regrets and my failures. It gave me like a kind of goodness this week and I want you to go with that goodness. And as you go with that goodness and of that gift, I want you to be able to think about giving it away. Take good care of those around you. That's what Peter was asked to do by Jesus. It's what we're asked to do. Take good care of those around you. Find the road to forgiveness. It's not an easy one when you've been harmed. But just start by finding it. Take responsibility when you need to. Don't be defensive or fragile. Don't deny the ways you've harmed. You don't have to. Take responsibility when you need to. Restore and repair where possible. And it's not always possible to restore with people. It's always possible with God. Jesus will never tire of loving you. And you can fall short. There is always room to repair and always room to be restored. I'm going to leave you with Jesus' words before you come to this table. And this is the table that was established the night that Peter's feet and the disciples were washed. Jesus demonstrates over and over again that he never tires and that we can always fall short and come back here and be restored. So no matter what this last week has brought you, no matter what the week before did or the year before, 
No matter what mistakes or failures are highlighted in your body when you smell a fire, or when you hear a song, or when you think about a person, this table is a table to invite you back to that place of wholeness. And to do what you need to do, I'm not saying it lets you off the hook of maybe doing particular kinds of things, but it's a place where you can embody that seenness, that knownness, and that lovedness. And in standing in that guaranteed love, it's then the gift that you get to give away. Jesus will never tire of loving you. You can fall short. That's what this table invites you to come and partake in. Jesus' words after establishing this table, Missio, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, love is risky. I think everyone in this room is 100% aware that love is risky. To be loved is risky because it means to potentially be hurt, likely be hurt. And to love is risky because sometimes it means taking responsibility. Which is why we come here today to be refreshed by the reality that your love is never ending. That there's no off-ramp. There's no like off-ramp that we can take out of it. And so I pray today that as people sit here, they may think of their own places of betrayal, their own places of pain, their own places of identifying with Peter. Spirit, would you speak to that for them? Spirit, would you call them home? whether it's home for the first time to a place of belonging or home for the hundredth time. Just call them home to that welcome and then Spirit, give them that gift to give this week in their workplaces and with their families and knowing that they're going to fall short again like Peter did. But that resurrection reality mean that, always means that restored reality is available. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.